Last week, we began with Psalm 27, and we talked about verse number 1 to verse number 4. It says, the Lord is my light. The Lord. We're talking about Jehovah. We're talking about the eternal one, the self-existent one. In the book of Exodus, he was the I am that I am that sent Moses to go to Pharaoh and to deliver a message. He is self-sufficient. The Lord is just fine without our help. He doesn't need us. Now, He wants us and He desires to fellowship with us and He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the Lord's work is not hinging upon whether or not we can come through. Boy, I hope that we've got enough talent and ability and maybe we'll be able to do something. Are you kidding me? Jesus said, without Him we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing without Him. We need the Lord. And David said, the Lord is my light. We talked about last week how the Lord is our light. We said last week that the Lord is our liberty. Aren't you glad for freedom that comes in Jesus? That's not freedom to sin, that's freedom from sin. It's not freedom to live however you want. It's freedom to live like Jesus and, and live for Him and serve Him. It's liberty that we have in Jesus. And then we said, the Lord is my life. And uh, I gave you the illustration about that pastor, uh, that preacher, excuse me, who's getting on a plane, and uh, that, that woman had that poster of that whale, and she said, this is what I live for, and this is what I spend my money for, and this is why I'm go taking my vacation time to go and save the whales. And we said, before we uh, start throwing stones at her, maybe we ought to examine ourselves and say, well, what are we living for? What's our life all about? And not just what we say, but what's true of where we spend our time and where we spend our focus and where we spend our money and, and what, what really motivates us. And the Lord is my life. And then we said, the Lord is my longing. Uh, uh, David said one thing, verse 4, have I desired of the Lord? He said, this is my desire. This is my, this is my passion. This is what I'm living for. This is my longing. He said, I just want to spend time with the Lord. I just want to be in His house. I want to worship Him. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. Tonight, we're going to pick up with number five in our uh, lesson here on Psalm 27. Not only is the Lord my light and He's my liberty, He's my life, He's my longing, but notice verse number five, Brother Dan read for us. It tells us that God lifts us up. Notice verse five, in the time of trouble... He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me up upon a rock. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look at your word tonight. We know that this book is, is our foundation. It's true from beginning to end. This is our anchor. This is our hope. This is our confidence. Lord, this is what we're living for, and we don't believe that uh, just it might happen or possibly, but Lord, we believe with 100% certainty that your promises are true. And Lord, we're coming tonight to claim your promises, and we need to hear from you. And we need your word to help us and to fill us and to give us what we need for the days ahead. I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord, number five, he lifts us up. He says, he shall set me up upon a rock. Now, 
I talked to the um, children's choir. I gave a little, just a little thought, a little challenge, and I alluded to the story of David and Goliath. Well, keep in mind, David's only battle, or David's battle was not only with Goliath. David was a man of war. David was a man who fought battles. He was a general. He was a, a soldier. He was a mighty man. He saw God do great victories, and David was no dummy on the battlefield. David knew that the best place to be in a battle was not in the low, low ground. It was not to be in a valley somewhere, but you always want to get the high ground. It's interesting when you study the different battles and you go to some of these uh, battlefields uh, in this area and further up, uh, up into Virginia and uh, you get into some of the Civil War battlegrounds and you see the different markers. Boy, they would, they would do anything and everything to be able to stake claim on the high ground because that's where the advantage was. David said, God, when I'm in a battle, God gets me on the high ground. He gets me on the rock. It's solid. It's a significant location. It's a solid location. It's a strategic location. And David said, God can lift me out of a bad place and he can set me on a rock. Aren't you glad for that rock that he sets us on and that rock that we can count on and that rock that is stable during the storms and the hard times in life? It's interesting in Psalm 40, David reminds us how it's God that lifts us out of a pit and he sets our feet upon a rock. Can I tell you, you can't lift yourself up out of a pit. Boy, we've been in situations and you've been in situations where there was nothing you could do. You just step back and said, God, I'm in a mess. I'm in a situation that's hopeless. I'm in a situation that I don't even know what to do. And if I did know what to do, I wouldn't be able to fix it. But guess who can? His name is Jesus. And he can lift us up and he can set us upon a rock and he can give us victory. I love the song in our hymn books, when nothing else could help, when nothing else could do the job, aren't you glad that love lifted me? He lifts us up. It says in verse number six, notice Psalm 27, verse six, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. So not only does God lift us up and put us in a better location or put us in a better spot, and not only does God change uh, uh, what's going on around us, but God changes us. He changes our attitude. This idea of God lifting up our head, we find this phrase in several passages of Scripture. One place we find it about four or five times is in Genesis 39, 40, and 41. And the Bible talks about how that Pharaoh had put the chief butler and the chief baker in prison. And Joseph interpreted the dreams for those men. And the Bible makes this statement that Pharaoh, while these, these men who used to work for Pharaoh, they were in prison, Pharaoh came by and it says he lifted the head of the chief butler and he restored him. He didn't just set him free. He didn't just set him free and say, now get lost and don't, I don't want to see you again. But he lifted his head and he restored him to the position that he had before he was thrown into prison. So here's what this is saying, that God not only puts us on a rock, but he can lift your head. He can give you a new outlook. 
He can restore you. He can restore me. He can give us the victory back. He can give us the happiness and the peace and the joy that we once had. It says in Jeremiah 52 that the Babylonian king, his name was Evil Merodach. He lifted up the head of Jehoiachin and brought him out of prisoner. This idea that God lifts our head, it's the idea of a prisoner. Not only being released, but being restored to a position that was once held. Aren't you glad that God can lift our head? And you might be here and you might say, Pastor, I am smiling on the outside, but inside my life is a mess. I'm smiling on the outside or I'm trying to be positive on the outside, but if you knew the struggles that I was going through, you would know that it's hopeless and you would know that there's just no way. It just seems impossible. You're right, but I know a God that specializes in things that are impossible. And I know a God that can lift your head and lift my head. Psalm 3, verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. Isn't that interesting? David says that he will lift up mine head above mine enemies that are round about me. I love the verse in Luke 21. This will make you shout. Verse 28, it says, And when these things begin to come to pass, Jesus was talking about the signs of the the, the second coming and the signs uh, of the uh, millennial reign of Christ. And when Jesus is coming back, he said, When these things come to pass, he said, Hang on, look up, lift up your head, because your redemption draweth nigh. Aren't you glad that help is on the way? Say, Pastor, it's so bad, it's just so awful. Hey, we're a split second away from heaven. We're just a, a, we're just a heartbeat away from the rapture. We're just getting close to hearing that trumpet sound. And God can lift our head. He can lift us up and put us on a rock, but He can change our outlook. He can change our attitude. He can change the way that we view things. He can give us the joy and restore those things back to us. Not only does the Lord lift us up, it's found in verse 5, but would you notice down in verse number, verse 5 and 6, but verse 7. I see that the Lord listens to me. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal that the fact the fact that the Lord listens to us? Well, he's busy. He's got a lot going on. He's the creator of the universe. He listens to you, and he listens to me, and he listens to anyone that will call upon him. And here's what's so wonderful. He cares. He's not customer service that's getting paid by the hour just to talk on the phone and try to figure something out and put people off. He's concerned. He cares. And guess what? He can do something about it. Have you ever talked to somebody and finally somebody will listen to you and you tell them the whole spiel and then at the end they say, well, I'm going to have to talk to my manager about that one. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me that 30 minutes ago, you know? But God can do something. God can step in and God can change and God can can help us and God can work out our situation. He cares. 1 Peter 5, 7. The Bible says, casting all your care upon him. How come? Because he careth for you. God listens to me. He hears me when I cry. He hears me when I'm in need. He he listens when I'm in trouble. He listens and he responds and he answers. And What a blessing to know that God 
listens to us. God's attention is not divided. God is not distracted. God doesn't listen to you while he's doing this. God doesn't listen to you and say, oh, okay, uh uh-huh, okay, sure. Like some of us are guilty of doing sometimes, right? You say, I'm glad you're talking to those teenagers. I'm not just talking to the teenagers now. I'm talking to all of us. But aren't you glad that God listens and he's focused and his attention is on you and he wants to hear from you? There's some people they'll listen, but only because they have to. But then there's a God in heaven that listens because he wants to hear from you. And when you're in trouble, when I'm in trouble, he's listening. He's there. He's available. He's ready to listen and to help. I want you to notice verse number 9 and 10. We're going quickly. You say, why are we going so fast? Folks, there's food waiting for us. This is a Baptist church. Verse number 9. It says, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Hallelujah for that. Number seven, I see that God never leaves me. The verse tells us, Hebrews 13, 5, that God has said, God has promised, God has committed himself, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Aren't you glad for that? I love the promise in Matthew 28 where Jesus told his disciples to go and to to be a witness and to spread the gospel and to, to teach and to baptize and to teach all nations. And then he said this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I'm glad he never leaves us. You can find that promise way back in Genesis 28, 15, where God promised, he said to Abraham, behold, I'm with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I'm glad that God never leaves us. You know, there are some people that you thought would never leave you. There are some people that you thought others might leave, but not that person. There are some people who will leave you during the toughest times. You're going through the hardest time of your life, and people will leave you. Say, Pastor, boy, I was getting encouraged, and here you're just letting the air out of our sails now. Well, hang on. There are people that will leave you, and you were counting on them. Like, there was something that they were supposed to do, and they promised to do, and they were committed to doing this thing that you had to have done. And they bailed on you. They jumped ship. They said, see you later, alligator after a while, crocodile. And you're thinking, you can't leave. There are some people that will not only leave, but they'll completely forsake you. They will completely abandon you. There there are some people, they'll leave and they'll get as far away as they can from you. They won't even return your calls. They won't even say a word. They won't even say goodbye. There are some people in life that will leave you 
Notice the example that David gives in case you're not convinced. Verse 10, David says, when my father and my mother forsake me. Now, I don't know that that ever happened to David. The scripture does not record that that actually happened. I think this is a, for instance, I think he's given an example. I think he's saying, hey, friend, I want to tell you, there may come a time where your own parents forsake you. But David says, I've got good news for you. Even when that happens, even when your closest friend may abandon you, even when someone that you loved and someone that you cared for, even when someone that you were close to, even when that person leaves, it says, then the Lord will take me up. Aren't you glad that he never leaves? Aren't you glad that he never forsakes us? By the way, people will leave and people will forget and people will turn their back on you. Just realize that's a part of life. That will happen. Jesus himself, his closest friends, his disciples that he, he walked with and talked with and he taught with and he served with. Jesus came to his most difficult hour and those disciples, they forsook him and fled. But I want to tell you, Jesus will never forsake you. Jesus will never abandon you. Your trust and my trust better not be in a person. Your trust better not be in a pastor. Your trust better not be in a friend. Your trust better not be in a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a, a choir member or an usher or greeter. And I love all of those folks. But I'm not living for those folks. I'm living for the Lord. And my confidence and my trust is in Him. And He has promised He'll never leave. Number eight, I see in verse number 11 that we are learning from the Lord. It says in verse number 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. If you'll turn back with me, you might even just be able to look across the page. Look at Psalm 25. Are you there in Psalm 25? If you can see Psalm 25, would you say amen? If you can't even see it, just say, oh, me. Everybody can see it? All right, good. You might have to share a Bible with somebody nearby. It says in verse number 4, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. The psalmist is crying out. He says, Lord, I need you to show me, but I also I need you to teach me. And then verse number 5, he says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. We are learning from the Lord. It says in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. You know, we all need to learn, right? Is there anybody that you, you have, you've learned everything you'll ever need to know in your life and you, don't, you can't learn anymore, you don't want to learn anymore, you don't need to learn anymore? Is there anybody like that? I just want to make sure we're all in the same, same boat. We all need to learn, whether it's with your marriage, whether it's with your children. And by the way, if you ever think you don't need to learn about child rearing, whew, I'd love to know your secret because we are, we are learning every day. And uh, it's uh, on-the-job training, let me tell you, but we're learning. But our teacher is the Lord. And we all need to learn and we all need to be taught and we all need to be instructed. We need God to teach us. And by the way, he's a great teacher. 
And he will teach and he will instruct and he will show us his ways and he will teach us what we're supposed to do if we'll listen. Here we are, back to school Sunday. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow in classrooms all over our area for these students? Oh my. For these students who have all summer that have been the time of their lives and who have not had to focus on a teacher and they've not had to sit still in a desk and they've not had to pay attention and well it's amazing how you can pay attention for two hours watching a movie but you know somebody wants to talk to you for two minutes and that's hard but you know what these students are going to struggle with attention focus listening you know what the average christian struggles with focus on what god is saying to us our attention are listening to what God wants to tell us. God's speaking. I love what uh, uh, Eli told Samuel when he, Samuel heard his name being called in the temple. He said, the next time you hear it, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Boy, that's how we ought to come to church. That's how we ought to come to Sunday school. That's how we ought to come on Wednesday nights. That's how we ought to open our Bible on Monday morning in our devotional time. We ought to say, speak, Lord, I've got to have something from you. Amen. You say, I've been saved for 50 years. Maybe so, but God's got something for you. you. Say, I've been saved for 10 days. Well, God's got something for you. And if you listen, and if I listen, God will speak and God will teach and God will show us. The teachers will work this school year. They'll work for the students to listen. Then they'll work for the students to retain the information. Because some of us, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. For some of us, we have a hard time retaining what we uh, should know. That's why the Bible says we're to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. That's why we're to memorize it and to meditate on it and to retain it. Teachers will take attendance this school year. You know why? Because if you're not there, it's hard to learn. If you're not in class, if you're not in your spot, if you're not in that classroom, if you're not in that desk, and you say, but what about online? Well, guess what with online? <laughs> you still got to be there. You got to be sitting there, and you got to be listening, and you got to be focused. I think many Christians could grow, and I think many Christians would grow if they'd be in the house of God. It amazes me, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking to anybody that's here. Maybe there's some people listening. You think I'm talking about you. I don't have anybody in particular in mind, but I got, a, I got a group in mind. But you know what is so sad for me is when people go through struggles and people go through difficulties, and I'll talk to them. I'll talk to them in their home, or I'll talk to them out and about, or I'll talk to them in my office. And there's so many times as I'm talking to them, I'm thinking, you know, I just preached about this a week ago. And you say, well, it makes it easy for you. Yeah, it does. I don't really have to study for that meeting. I know what to tell them because I just got done preaching it to everybody in the church. But so many times we miss church and we miss the house of God and we go through situations and we don't know what to do. I'll tell you, attendance to the house of God and being in church is a great way to learn from what God wants us to know. There's a textbook. 
a teacher will have a teacher's guide and a student will have a textbook and they'll have uh, something in front of them that's printed that they can see and that they can hold and that they can read. And if you don't bring the textbook, it's going to be hard to follow along. If you don't read the textbook, if you don't read the assignment, if you don't get the information in your head from the book, we won't learn very well. And I tell you, God's given us a textbook. This ought to be the most used. This ought to be the most worn. This ought to be the most studied textbook in the world because it's a textbook for life. It's a textbook for marriage. It's a textbook for our teens. It's a textbook for relationships. It's a textbook for how to live your life and how to succeed at life. But so many times it's a textbook that gets stuck on a shelf. There must be study. The first Timothy, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. There must be those things. We must learn what God has for us. Are we prepared to learn? Are we listening? Are we applying what we've been taught? Number nine, I see in this passage, verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. That word lead, I'm glad that we can know where we're supposed to go because God does not just point the way, God leads the way. We can follow him, and as long as we're following him, we're not going to get lost. And by the way, God's going to make sure that he keeps you close behind. He's not going to run off and speed off and try to get away from you. I like the song in our hymn book, a little chorus, My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And when you're following someone that knows the way, that's a wonderful thing because you know you'll get to where you're supposed to go. When I was a student in Rockford, Illinois, at the Berean Christian School there, I would get there early because my dad was a teacher there, and so we'd go early. And at the time, Mom, you'll probably remember this, but at the time they were uh, adding on to the parking lot. So the, the building was, was up on a hill a little bit, and the parking lot sloped down a little bit. And at the end of that slope, they had just huge mounds of dirt. They were waiting to smooth it out, and they were going to extend the parking lot. Some of those mounds of dirt, they were probably this, probably this high if, if the, the main level was the ground. There was some of them were pretty high. And, you know, we're in elementary, and we get there early. And uh, we could either run around and play on the, uh, the, 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 the parking lot and throw the football or sit around, or we could, we could do something fun. So some teacher, I don't know who, but some teacher said, sure, go ahead and climb on the mounds of dirt and have a great time. And so guess what? We did it. And it was perfect because it was in the winter and it was in Illinois and it would snow. And then sometimes, uh, not very often, but sometimes that snow would melt and the snow would melt and it would form puddles in between those mounds. It was awesome. Well, then in the morning, it would freeze back over. You know, at night, it'd freeze over. In the mornings, we'd be there and there'd be ice and there'd be snow and there'd be dirt. And we had the best time just, just playing. Well, somebody came up with the idea and said, let's play follow the leader. But the idea of that game, follow the leader, was the leader tried to lead in such a way that you could not follow. The leader tried to lead in such a way that you couldn't keep up. The leader would climb those mounds and race down those hills as fast as he could or she could, and they'd race down, and, 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 and then they would purposely, they would go over the ice hoping that they would make it and that the people following would not. You say, what happened if you didn't make it? Well, you'd get from about knee down or about the middle of your shin down, 
you'd go through the ice and it'd be wet and it'd be a little muddy and it'd be dirty. You say, what did you do then? You kept following the leader, you know? You didn't want to be a wimp and not be able to keep up. But the leader would try to throw people off. That was the goal. Like, let's see if you can keep up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't lead like that? Aren't you glad God's not trying to see if he can throw you off and he's not trying to go too fast or too slow or too high or too low or he's not trying to confuse you. He's not trying to make you look bad. Aren't you glad that God is leading, verse 11, it says, in a plain path. I want to tell you, God's not trying to confuse anybody. The will of God's not a mystery. What God has for your life, it's not difficult to figure out. God is making it very clear and very plain. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Not only does God teach, but God leads. Verse number 11 says this, because of mine enemies. Why, why do we need to follow God? Why do we need to follow the leader? Why do we need to follow Jesus? Because we've got some enemies that are waiting to destroy us. We've got the enemy of the world. We've got the enemy of that old flesh and we've got the enemy of the devil and we've got those enemies and if we don't follow where the Lord is leading, we are susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Psalm 23, that's where the Bible tells us that God leads us beside the still water. And even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to be afraid because God said, I'm with thee. My rod and my staff, they comfort thee. We must be led by the Lord. Number 10, I see in verse number 13 that the Lord loves me. It says in verse number 13, I had fainted. David said, I, there's no way I could have made it. There's no way possible that I could keep going. I would have given up unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Number 10, he loves me. God's so good to me. God's so good to you. If we're honest, God's goodness keeps us going. It's because of his mercies that we're not consumed. It's because of his goodness. And David said, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There are some Bible commentators that say that's talking about heaven, but I don't believe it's talking about heaven because that's an obvious. You and I will experience the goodness of God there. I believe David is saying, I believe to see the goodness of the Lord while I'm alive, while I'm on this earth, while I have breath, I believe that I'm going to see God come through and I believe I'm going to see the goodness and the love of God here in this life. And friend, I want to tell you, heaven is better than this. Praise God for that. And when we get to heaven, there'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more sorrow. We'll experience the, the blessings and the goodness. But I want to tell you, God's good down here too. God's so good to us. And David said, I believe that I'd see it because he loves me. And lastly, number 11, I believe in this passage, we see a lesson to let go and let God. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This might be one of the most difficult lessons in life. Because we want to keep our hands on everything. We want to fix it. We want to work it out. 
We want to make something happen. By the way, that's the world's philosophy. The world's philosophy is not to wait on God. The world's philosophy is you figure it out. You go for it. You work hard enough. You push hard enough. Uh, you, you grunt and you groan and you do everything you can to get in there and make it happen and you'll be successful. But that's not what Psalm 27, 14 says. It says you're going to have to learn to wait on God. You're going to have to learn to trust Him and let Him strengthen your heart. That's what Isaiah 40, 31 reminds us. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When we just let go and we trust God. We just let go and let God do the work that He wants to do when we leave it up to God. If you don't trust Him, if you don't wait on Him, I'll promise you this, you will grow weary in well-doing like we talked about this morning. You will faint. You will quit. You will give up if you try to do it in your own strength. But aren't you glad? Verse 14, we can wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord our Father, I pray.